If you've owned real estate or stocks in the past six or seven years, you've probably done pretty well. I wonder if you've considered why this is the case. Perhaps the real estate you own is in a particularly strong market. Or perhaps the companies in your stock portfolio are really competitive. Even if this is the case, it's not just the high performers that have seen their valuations rise. Almost all asset prices have gone up. But how is this possible all at the same time? The real reason for the almost universal run-up in asset prices is because there is more credit available to purchase these assets, which in turn puts upward pressure on valuations. More credit chasing a relatively fixed number of assets drives nominal prices up. Or to put it another way, the high tide of easy money has lifted all boats. Contrary to popular belief, Price inflation is not limited to consumer goods. Asset prices can inflate as well, and in fact, asset price inflation can often supersede consumer price inflation altogether, which is actually what we've seen recently. Asset price inflation is not necessarily a good thing and can actually create malinvestment in the economy. When capital is plentiful, investors are less discriminating in their investment choices. Nevertheless, Asset price inflation tends to benefit those who own real assets. But unfortunately, it's at the expense of the purchasing power of those that do not. Asset price inflation is actually common in history, and studying historical examples can help us anticipate what will happen in the future. The example of John Law is my personal favorite in this category because his story is in some ways very similar to what we see today. In the early 18th century, Louis XIV died and left France in financial ruin. The French national debt increased 20-fold over the last 30 years of his reign. His replacement was the Duke of Orléans, who reigned until the young Louis XV came of age. The regent entrusted the management of the great national debt to a young Scottish financier named John Law. Law opened a private bank and issued paper currency to his depositors, which were backed by gold. Trusting that depositors would not all claim their gold at once, Law issued more notes than he could actually redeem with bullion. The French government was then able to use these partially backed notes to pay down their debts. Not yet satisfied, both Law and the regent aimed for bigger goals. Law's bank was given the charter for the Mississippi Company, a mining venture created to exploit the natural resources of Louisiana. Around this time, Law's private bank transformed into the Bank Royale, the new central bank of France, with the goal of relieving the national debt through the proceeds gained by selling shares of the Mississippi Company. Unfortunately for Law, the Mississippi Company was not profitable enough to justify its valuation. So the only way to pay dividends to the initial shareholders was to issue more stock. To support new shareholder demand, the Bank Royale opened vast reserves of credit to willing borrowers. Law printed money, which was increasingly leveraged against his gold reserves, and lent this new money to those that would, in turn, buy shares in the Mississippi Company. 
1719, the money supply increased a staggering eightfold. Easy access to credit fueled the speculative machine, and share prices soared. In a move reminiscent of modern stock buybacks, Law publicly bought futures in his own company, which served to feed the frenzy. By 1720, Law was at the peak of his power, but like all Ponzi schemes, the end was inevitable. Early in that year, the Prince of Conti sent a large bundle of paper currency to the Bank Royale for redemption in gold. The regent, alarmed at the size of withdrawal, ordered that the prince desist. This failure to honor the obligation discredited the whole system, and almost instantly there was a run on the bank. To ease the pressure, the bank offered to buy back shares, and the public rushed forward to oblige. Law printed a tremendous amount of money to buy up the stock, which resulted in commodity prices rising 68% over a period of 12 months. Nevertheless, the run on the bank was so severe that 16 people actually died of suffocation in the crowds outside the bank trying to offload their shares. By the autumn of 1720, there were bonfires of banknotes in Paris because they'd become completely worthless. The whole ordeal led Voltaire to declare that paper money had returned to its intrinsic value. Zero. John Law's inflation is a quintessential example of how an increase in the money supply can actually drive up asset prices more thoroughly than commodity prices. Though there were sharp rises in commodity prices towards the end, the period of 1717 to 1720 only saw a doubling in commodity prices despite a massive increase in the money supply. Interestingly, the price of real estate rose approximately fourfold over the same time frame, thoroughly outrunning commodity prices. Law's experience was a forerunner of the late 1920s when financial instruments and real estate rose sharply in value, but commodity prices remained relatively stable, a phenomenon we've seen in recent years as well. Now, what does this have to do with multifamily ownership? Much like the French and countless other societies throughout history, the United States has a national debt problem. In order for the government to service its debt, the Federal Reserve has to keep the blended interest rate on that debt sufficiently low. This is done through the expansion of credit, which, as we saw in the John Law example, can lead to asset price inflation. Indeed, since the end of the Great Recession, we have seen an enormous run-up in asset prices in both stocks and real estate. When you own an asset, particularly an asset financed with debt, the Federal Reserve is your best friend. The Fed, through credit expansion, erodes the real cost of servicing debt while simultaneously putting upward pressure on prices. This includes the price your tenants pay for rent. With the Fed in their corner, multifamily owners find themselves in the enviable position of having their rental income increase while their debt service remains constant. In addition, the general expansion of credit puts upward pressure on the nominal valuation of multifamily properties because there are now more dollars chasing a relatively fixed number of units. In times of high government debt, Asset price inflation can appear as governments expand the money supply to ease their own obligations. 
This run-up in prices directly benefits those who own real assets, particularly real assets acquired with debt, and this includes multifamily properties. This is not to say that real estate does not have its cycles. It certainly does. But the underlying trend for real estate over the last few decades has been solidly upward. And this is primarily because the number of dollars in existence has grown over that same time period. Given the accelerating rate of national debt accumulation, these trends are likely to continue long into the future. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Multifamily Economics. If you did, please leave us a review on iTunes, which will increase our visibility and help us grow. If you would like to discuss multifamily investing with me personally, please go to the Contact Us page on our website, DarbyRoseCapital.com. Thank you.